0: Joy to be back here it's wonderful to see mark and julie again and just um uh praise god for what he's doing in and through this congregation as uh, a real lighthouse i know the name but also a light in a ever-changing darkening world and i entitled the message this morning lasting change in changing times This is uh, the amount of change going on so quickly. It it makes my head spin uh, trying to keep up with what's happening in our world uh, on an international basis, but just national basis, looking at the news and, and seeing what's happening in every different direction. The right's trying to change things. The left's trying to change things. It's just change is constant. Uh, I remember a a friend of mine, a former pastor, well, he's still pastoring, associate pastor. He said, the only thing constant is change. There's just constant change. Um, When we look at the, I was at the counseling conference and we uh, think through all of the different therapies out there in the secular world. Right now, I saw a psychologist uh, footnote, there are 500 different therapies they're all about change. Changing what they believe are people, uh, evolved animals, at least from a secular standpoint. Uh, and the best they can do is try to help people uh, move around from deck to deck on, a, on the Titanic. Uh, th- they're changing maybe from one room on a deck to another with a different therapy, but the whole ship is going down it's not going to be lasting change the change that god has um, brought to us and for us Uh, i was uh, reading i mentioned this at the conference Uh, even christians professing christians are calling themselves progressive christians so now they're changing in how they are living quote their christian faith if it is a christian faith and one uh, such person that I noted at the conference, she's written a book called Untamed. She calls herself a progressive, a changing Christian. She has uh, Her book has sold 2 million copies. Uh, it shows up on Amazon's Christian self-help category. And I think you just have to profess that you're a Christian and use a Bible verse uh, to make it on the self-help list. But here's, uh, her name's Glennon Doyle. And just think about the change she is pushing here. Two million copies have sold. So I would imagine um, two million women probably have bought this and are processing what she is saying as a, quote, changing progressive Christian. And she says, uh, and I'm giving you a couple quotes here from her book. Listen, she says, every time you're given a choice between disappointing yourself, or or, I'm sorry, a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. She goes on to say, maybe Eve in the garden was never meant to be our warning she was meant to be our model. So women are to follow Eve's model of disobeying what God says. And then later she writes, Well, we need, uh, what we need right now is more women who, are detoxed, uh, who have so detoxed themselves from the world's expectations that they are full of nothing but themselves. What we need are women who are full of themselves. A woman who is full of herself, knows and trusts herself enough to say and do what must be done. This opposite message from what God says in Scripture is what it means to follow him. So just change is going on everywhere. I think we could say a truism is everyone is looking for change. And this morning, I want us to think through the topic as we turn to Titus. The book of Titus, chapter 2. So if you'll turn with me to Titus, chapter 2, it talks about change. Uh, Change for a people that, um, from the world's perspective, couldn't change. All right. Change from God's perspective, He's going to list how to change, three different levels here of change. But from the world's perspective, how in the world could they change? Just a little background about this uh, letter to Titus and where he's writing uh, it to, the, the island of Crete. Uh, Crete was an island. It is, still is an island in the Mediterranean. Uh, it was often referred to as a melting pot. All kinds of people would show up there. And they had a really bad reputation. The Cretans had a super bad reputation. Look down at verse 12. It says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. You can't trust one of them. Evil beasts, which just meant, that was a phrase used for manipulators and controllers. Uh, They were out to get you and take you. So they were tricksters. And they're lazy gluttons. That is their reputation. They're always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, I know reputations. There can be all kinds of reputations that people have. It could be caricatures and not true. And this is all around the Mediterranean world. They knew of the Cretans like this. That's reputation. And the Holy Spirit who breathed out this word through the pen of Paul, look at the next phrase. I I, I just chuckled when I read it. This testimony is true. It's not just made-up reputation. It's true. The Cretans were liars, manipulators, and lazy gluttons. How in the world is Paul and Titus going to do ministry there? Is change even possible with the Cretans? And why did Paul and Paul and T- Titus were at work and he left Titus there? And look what he left him there to do. Down in verse 5, chapter 1. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then we know the qualifications of an elder and the verses that follow. Well, apparently change is possible. That these Cretans could become saved. They could become followers of Christ. And that the men who were once liars, manipulators, and lazy gluttons could become men of God and change to become elders in churches. And that's only possible, this lasting change, through faith in Christ. So uh, that's uh, this morning as we think through this particular passage, and I'm going to look at primarily verses 11 through 14 of chapter 2. I want us to read, uh, just follow along as I read, uh, verses 1 down through 14 of chapter 2. Just think through what they once were and what God can do in someone's life. Verse 1, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's changed lives right there verses 1 through 10, and here's why. The verse, the, that first word, for, gives you the basis for all the changes. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So primarily I'm going to be looking at uh, verses seven uh, through, uh, um, uh, verses 11 through 14 as the basis for a lasting change in changing times and i I pray that it will be helpful encouraging to you uh, as a review for some it may be new but this is the gospel we need to reflect on throughout uh, all day as sort of as they say preach the gospel but just think through the gospel message the basis of it each and every day and so i want us to take a look at the fact that God gives us three foundational gospel truths towards lasting change so that we can live in a way that pleases Jesus and bring glory to God. So I don't know if you have notes in front of you or not, but first, the first foundational truth for lasting change, the first foundational truth is right there in verse 11, and it's the, the fact that God saves God saves, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Salvation for all people. He works a change from the outside in. We can't save ourselves. The Cretans couldn't save themselves. We can't save ourselves. No man has ever been able to save himself since Genesis 3. So a change has to come in from the outside in. And this is what this verse is saying. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And The fact is, there's a problem, and that man cannot save himself. Uh, If you look just over to chapter 3, look at verse 3 of chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. That phrase right there is another way of saying we have various addictions. We're enslaved to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's the condition of mankind. It was the condition of the Cretans. It's the condition of everyone since Genesis 3 by nature that's who we are and then verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of god our savior appeared remember that back in verse 11 the grace of god has appeared here again it talks about the savior appearing he saved us it says not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Apart from Christ and outside in, there's no hope for man. He is our only hope. Our righteousness was like filthy rags. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, we were unable to work our way to heaven, not by our works, we couldn't even understand spiritual things. We were natural, the natural mind at 1 Corinthians 2. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were alienated from God, separated. We had no power over sin. The best that man can do on his own is again, try to feel better and function better on some deck of the Titanic or some room in the Titanic, but it's all sinking quickly the only change in this world apart from salvation through christ is again trying to rearrange your life and try to work at nature or nurture but never affect the heart of man never really do the the work that has to be done and the change of one's heart the solution and we're so thankful this is god's mercy and grace uh, we like ache and all deserve Hell deserved to be destroyed uh, apart from God's grace and mercy. But we're so thankful for this verse, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, this thing of uh, two options here on what does it mean, all people? He brought salvation for all people. Not everyone's going to be saved. And... One position, uh, and some of the commentators take this position, is that verses 1 through 10 just above this talk about five people groups. That God brought salvation, provided salvation for all these different people groups. The older men, the older women, the younger uh, women, the younger men, those who were masters, those who were slaves at the time. And all the people groups god provided salvation for them whoever would uh, repent and trust in christ that's one option the other one is it may point back uh, to verse right at the beginning paul a servant of god and an apostle of jesus christ for the sake of the faith of god's elect it may be that he's talking about the elect the all people there would be those who would believe that God would draw to Himself. So two two options, um, uh, possibilities of what that means: all people, whether people groups, um, but it would be the elect even in the people groups, and so it may even be a bit of a combination there. But Jesus redeemed His people from all lawlessness. It says in verse fourteen, and a purifying for Himself, a people for His own possession. Christ is the solution, and it has to come from outside in. And when I was looking at this passage, uh, verses 11 through 14, the, the bringing, He brings, verse 12, He trains, verse 13, where there's a waiting. There's an ongoing, he's, he, he brought salvation, He's training us, and we should be waiting for the blessed hope when ministering to others you know we work to establish where is someone at with this first foundational truth how have they do they understand have they heard that this good news that we can change heart can be forgiven of sin we can be made right with god through faith in christ have they responded to this truth first And without salvation, with God and his power present and operating, there is no hope. No lasting change or hope. So again, change must occur from the outside in, God saves. And the appearing there, uh, as far as his grace of God has appeared, what is that referring to in verse 11? For the grace of God has appeared. Uh, Dr. George um, Knight in his pastoral epistles says grace in the Bible can be used two different ways in a very broad sense of God stooping down to help the helpless. Very broad sense. We need God's grace every day. We go to the throne of grace. God stoops down to help the helpless. And that is what's so kind of God to do. That's a broad sense. In a narrow sense, which I believe is happening right here, in the narrow sense, it will refer to one segment of that activity of God stooping down to help the helpless, and that is in the incarnation of Christ. So it's referring here, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, is referring to Christ's incarnation. He came in person. The eternal Son of God took on human flesh. It was fully God, took on full humanity, without sin. He lived a perfect life, sinless life. He atoned for the sins of those who would repent and believe in him. He was buried, rose again. He ascended, and he will soon return. That son of God, he appeared. He's called the grace of God uh, in, in a narrow sense. He's the grace of God walking around in the Gospels. He's the grace of God that appeared. Now, the second foundational truth, that's the first one, uh, God saves. And that's why the change can occur here, lasting change, not only in the Cretans, but in the Californians. And, and anyone. Anyone. God can change them from the outside in by repentance and faith that He graces us with. The second foundational truth for lasting change is that God not only saves, but he also trains those he saves. He's not done when he saves. He's then training. Think of Hebrews chapter 12, where when we run this race, we're to look unto Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's like a coach. He, he's our Savior, in a, uh, and then in a really real sense, he's our coach. He's now training us. This is what's often referred to as sanctification. It's like you have justification, he saves us. Now, sanctification in the progressive sense, he is training us, and this is from the inside out. Right, Salvation is from outside in because we can't do anything in and of ourselves now the sense of the spirit of God is in us now he's training us purifying us helping us to grow and change into Christ's likeness from the inside out this is an ongoing process the verb tense is ongoing it's an ongoing activity but God doesn't obey for you he's inside to help you obey it's a cooperative effort on this training this training is not a let go let god just change me is you have to cooperate with the spirit of god inside in, in, inside us so this is very important This gets in the area of spiritual disciplines the word train is the same word used for parenting where uh, the discipline training of your children bring them up and the discipline training same word it's a discipline training Exercising yourself unto godliness is another passage uh, that speaks about this. One author, Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, The Whole Christ, he says there's a, there's a popular belief among uh, professing ev- evangelicals, and he says it's a, a, it's a secular gospel of self-acceptance masquerading as Christianity. And it goes something like this. This is just uh, how I am. God is gracious. And he accepts me as I am, and therefore I will remain as I am. I'll read that again. This is how I am. This is a professing Christian who isn't changing. God is gracious. And he accepts me as I am, and therefore I will remain as I am. Well, in light of this verse, no, there's a training process going on, a changing from the inside out. And so he he goes on to say this, Sinclair Ferguson, this is misleading to say that God accepts us the way we are. Rather, he accepts us despite the way we are. He receives us only in Christ and for Christ's sake. Nor does he mean to leave us the way he found us, but to transform us into the likeness of his son. Without that transformation and new conformity of life, we do not have any evidence that we were ever his in the first place. There has to be fruit. There has to be changing going on, this training process, the discipline training process. And so here in verse 12, so he's, he, he brought salvation, and now he's training us, verse 12, in two, two different directions. One is training us to renounce something, to say no to or put off, and then to say yes to something and be really pursuing. It sounds very similar and other things that you've been taught for years here at this church. As you go through the scriptures, there's a putting off and a putting on put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for your flesh to fulfill it in its lust thereof. So there's two different things we need to be thinking through, a a renouncing, and then a way that we need to be living and growing and, and being trained. So the first part here, it says training us to renounce ungodliness, which is more of the root, and worldly passions, which are usually the uh, symptoms that come out of that the displays of ungodliness worldly passions so let's just start there this is to say no uh, and it's constantly saying no to this or it's a renouncing it's not i renounce one time no it's it's daily it's a daily renouncing of ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness, again, is a lack of godly reverence. To, it's it's um, Another way of saying it is there's no fear of God. You're lacking a reverence of God at the root. And then the worldly passions are more of concrete manifestations of, of fleshliness, self-serving, seeking your own independence. Uh, this is a constant saying no but if all we did was say no, that's a 90-degree turn, and it doesn't work. All you, the best you can do in a 90-degree turn is join a support group. How to say no to a sin. Well, oftentimes, that's what is involved in so many of those groups, is how do we hold each other accountable to want, not drink or not use drugs or is to say no is a 90-degree turn. And that's not what the Holy Spirit teaches us, as you know. He teaches us to do a 180-degree turn. Be pursuing something, not just trying to say no to something. So right here in this one passage, this one verse even, you're renouncing and you are now pursuing what's right in three different directions. We're to say yes to. So we're saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. What we're saying yes to is in three different directions. First of all, the first direction is self. Self Self-control. That we would live self-controlled lives. And If you remember, as I read through verses 1 through 10, self-control pops up all the different people up there. And with young men, I thought that was interesting in verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men, what? There's got to be at least 20 things you'd, you'd want younger men to be working on. No, just self-control. Self-control. Self-control lives. I've often thought, is there a difference between self-control and self-discipline? Because there are a lot of people around us that are extremely self-disciplined, and they're not even Christians. Is there a difference between the self-discipline and self-control? And I believe there is. Uh, Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, which has a goal of glorifying God and Christ-likeness. Self-discipline can be for your own benefit. A lot of athletes are very self-controlled. Those who do well in their studies and in the universities, very self-disciplined. But their goal is, is not God's glory. It's not produced by the Holy Spirit. It's for themselves. And so what we're taught here is the Holy Spirit who dwells in believers will help you with this, the area of self-control. One writer uh, wrote on self-control. He said, self-control is the ability to see a godly goal and choose that goal over other competing desires. So self-control is the ability to see a godly goal and choose that goal over against competing desires. You say, yeah, but you don't understand my desires. My desires are so strong, it is so hard to be renouncing these things. In Romans chapter 6, 1 through 12 would be a really good passage to jot down So I need to read this and dwell on this because we've been united with Christ by faith in him. You're united with Christ in his life, death, burial, resurrection and now the same spirit who rose Jesus from the dead dwells in us and gives us power over sin. Verse 11 of chapter 6 of Romans says we must keep considering that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, the next verse, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You do not have to obey those desires, the the fleshly desires anymore. You don't have to obey them. God's Spirit can help you as you dwell on the fact of who Christ is. You're united with Him. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God through faith in Christ. So a good reminder to us personally to be self-controlled by the help of the Spirit of God. Again, a godly goal, and choose that over against other competing desires. Then he goes on to say, and be upright. Upright is towards other people. Self-control is personal. Personally, I'm more, trying to be more self-controlled. Upright as with other people. and the Cretans, uh, they had phrases all around the Mediterranean world. Um, they would say, you're, Creti- uh, you're you're cretizing me. That meant you're lying. Uh, so they they use that Crete, the Cretes as you're a deceiver. And to be upright would mean with the help of the Spirit of God, you can be, You're not manipulating people. You're not taking advantage of people. You're honest. You have integrity and you're fair. It's acting righteously towards other people, not playing them or tricking them, manipulating them or defrauding them. That's upright towards other people. So we need to be pursuing self-control personally, upright with other people, and then vertically be godly toward God there is an ungodliness we're renouncing godliness is to be well devoted to God just thinking more about wanting to please him than pleasing yourself it's keeping our eyes on Jesus in 2nd Corinthians 3 18 and we're being changed from one degree of glory to another so this verse of training I mean, the the rest of the New Testament kind of expands on this in the area of sanctification. Wonderful passages in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 that just expand that renouncing and then live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, or putting on the Lord Jesus and making no provision for the flesh. So God saves, first foundational truth for lasting change, that's eternal change, Secondly, there's a training going on. God trains us. He's making us more and more like Christ each and every day. But we have to cooperate. He won't obey for us. The third foundational truth is there in verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing. He appeared already in verse 11. That's for salvation, the Incarnation. This appearing is Christ's return, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is an area where God's coming in, and this is going to be complete change, complete permanent change he's coming to rescue to return and to rescue us this is absolute lasting change this is a second appearance there in that passage Uh, what i thought was interesting is that this could be today and i i was looking at other passages that even in the new testament uh, especially i'm thinking of first thessalonians chapter one the Thessalonians turned from idols to serve the true and living God. Chapter 1 of Thessalonians, verse 9. So they turned from serving idols. They changed. God saved them. They turned from idol worship to, to follow the Lord. But that's not all. Is a comma there at the end of verse 9. And verse 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven. One translation, to eagerly wait, but to wait for his son from heaven. And they were busy doing all kinds of ministry up in the previous verses. I'm not sure how often, I can't speak for your life, how often do you think about Christ returning even today? And I don't know that heaven Christ's return is that much on our minds. I don't hear it much from people when we're all talking and amongst Christians, but it was on their mind and it's part of the foundational gospel truth. This is not all there is. Our hope is on Christ's return. Back in the 1600s, one Puritan pastor was given a few months to live. He was 32 years of age, Richard Baxter. Uh, He was, he said from age 21 on, he was seldom an hour free from pain. Age 32, he developed some sort of a lung problem, and the physicians gave him a few months to live. So he says, I'm going to go out to a farmhouse. I'm going to read everything in the Bible about heaven, because I'm going to be there in a few months. Might as well... Study when I'm where I'm going to be. So he goes out and he's writing, taking notes. He ends up with 500 pages of notes on heaven. And he concludes, after finishing uh, those 500 notes, he says it's obvious in Scripture, if Christians aren't heavenly-minded, they will be of no earthly good. If we're not heavenly-minded, we'll be of no earthly good. If we're not waiting for that blessed hope, Christ's return, we just won't be of any good here. That hope resting on Christ's return, and 1 John says we purify ourselves. This helps, motivates us to to live a pure life. The 1 Thessalonians, they were eagerly waiting for Christ to return. Richard Baxter didn't die in three months after that. He lived, he didn't die at 32, he died at 76. He lived a lot longer. The Lord had more days numbered for him. But these three foundational truths are just absolutely pivotal in how we live our given day. Any given day. First, has have you responded to the, the offer of the gift of salvation? Christ appeared bringing salvation. Do you have that? Have you embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's the first foundational truth, last for eternity. The second one is, you just don't wait here until Christ returns. He's training us. There is a discipline training process going on called sanctification in our lives. And we have to cooperate. Uh, God will not, again, obey for us, but he will help us. He's in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So we have to be zealously working hard, exercising ourselves with our eyes fixed on Christ, but not just thinking horizontally day by day. We need to be thinking vertically, waiting for that blessed hope. Uh, Sometimes I have thought, Lord, just come quickly and why i just want to get out of this uh, i just want to get out of some of the bad stuff happening or uh, i remember in school when before an exam lord right now would be a good time for you to come because uh, i just to we want to take the exam it, 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 why are we wanting christ to return and our hope the blessed hope is not our glorification In this passage, it's not our glorification. It's not, well, I won't have to struggle with sin anymore. I won't have to deal with Satan anymore. I won't have to deal with this world system anymore. The blessed hope and looking forward to Christ's return is not our glorification. It will happen. Our blessed hope is Christ. We're looking forward to Christ's return so we can be with Christ. Christ. Glorification happens. Praise God for that. Yes, we will not have to deal with sin and Satan and the world system. But Christ is our blessed hope. He's the blessed hope. And we need to be eagerly awaiting His return. That may be something that you can even do with one another in your small groups. Just continually remind ourselves, even with a scripture passage, Christ is coming back that's our hope he's our hope and we need to keep that in focus so we don't live as those who have no hope but he is our blessed hope and it doesn't stop there we aren't just uh, training and becoming more like jesus and keeping our eyes uh, on his return it says at the end here of uh, titus and verse 14 it says that we would be zealous for good works really active and serving hunting for ways to do good for God's people and to all men uh, in first Thessalonians it says we should be on the hunt for doing good for people especially the household of faith but to all people and giving them the gospel how can we love and serve them Ephesians two ten: we were created unto good works but we need to be zealous not slothful but zealous in the area of good works. Well, three foundational truths. I I would encourage you, one of the things of intentional meditation here, as you think through the rest of the day and, and week ahead, I would encourage you to commit verses 11 through 14 to memory. It doesn't take you very long to memorize these verses. And it's like the entire gospel package. It's talking about salvation. It's talking about sanctification. It's talking about Christ returning and glorification and what we need to be doing in the meantime. All packaged in a few verses. So in the morning when you wake up, you can just meditate on those verses. And I mean, the day may be rough, but it's all up from there. It, that is just set your feet where it needs to be for lasting change and changing times. And when you're sharing with people, you can share the gospel. That, that is the gospel of the salvation of Christ appearing. You can deal with believers and help them in the area of training to renounce, to put on. And you can encourage God's people with the return of Christ uh, at night when you can't sleep. You can just recall that to your mind those verses what, what a joy to meditate on these three main gospel truths for lasting change and changing times amen amen let's pray father just want to thank you uh, for this time uh, in your word this is such a wonderful passage in your word in light of the context of the people, uh, the people that were there in Crete, who I'm sure were convinced we can't change. We have a reputation, it goes everywhere. This is just who we are. We're liars, we're manipulators, we're, we're lazy gluttons. But Lord, you save, you transform, you train us. The the point of even those people, those men becoming elders and having the qualities that are listed in chapter 1. And then all the people, the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, those who were free, those who were slaves, all can change, lasting change, because of the salvation that you have brought through Christ but we can then be trained to become more like our Savior and then waiting for our Savior to return. May these three gospel truths just marinate uh, in our mind through the day, the week, the years ahead. And may we, as we're being zealous for good works, just keep our mind looking upwards, of waiting for Christ to return. For in his name we pray, amen.